0: Father, we thank you this morning for your word. We ask that you would teach us and train us, correct us and even rebuke us. We pray that it would be a mirror to us and that we would go away changed and ready to live humbly in your service. In Jesus' name we ask, amen. if you were asked what do you think is the most important thing or element or aspect in church relationships, what you would answer in a word. I'm not sure that we would come up with uh, the answer that Jesus gives in these verses, the quality that he wants to see most in his disciples and in his church, the people that he is gathering. In a word, it's humility In other walks of life, um, we might get used to thinking that success depends on uh, having people to get the job done, who have gifts resolve and ability, the self-starters, the single-minded, the people who will push on to achieve. In a word, those who are great. Jesus says it's different in the church, in his kingdom. It's an upside-down kingdom. We're coming back to Matthew's gospel. We've been in Exodus. We're back to our series in Matthew. We're in Matthew 18. We've seen as we've been going through Matthew that uh, there are blocks of teaching, blocks of action. And in chapter 18, we're starting a block of teaching that Jesus gives. And it's triggered by this question from his disciples. At that time, verse 1, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. They understand in some way how great Jesus is, and they're there at the start with him. And so, perhaps we can forgive them for thinking, well, I wonder who else is greater, I wonder where we fit. Um, Jesus has said, back one page in chapter 16, um, Jesus has talked, uh, verse 18, about building his church, a new community around him. And now in chapter 18, we're getting a feel for what that community will look like. The community, the church that Jesus builds and gathers. And this morning, I want us to see, um, by way of just mapping out where we're going, we're going to see what God values in his people. That's sort of the big headline, the insight to hold on to. And then three implications that flow from that, one to do with how we welcome one another, one to do with our own discipleship and being wholehearted in it, and then lastly, shepherdly care for one another. These things, how they flow from understanding how God values individual Christians So in this first section, in verses one to four, I want us to see that kingdom people seek humility, not greatness. Kingdom people seek humility, not greatness. The disciples, their question is concerned with greatness. Jesus brings a child and puts him in the middle, him or her in the middle of the group. And verse three, he says, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. What is he trying to push home with them? Well, verse four clarifies it again. Who therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. You see, in those days in Jewish society, children were of no importance other than being a responsibility. Um, They were subject to the authority of the elders. They were not to be taken seriously, except as a responsibility, one to be looked after, but not one to look up to, is how one commentator puts it. And in verse 3, Jesus says very strongly to his disciples, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So disciples should become like children, having the same status. Being insignificant, unimpressive, willing to be nobodies. So for the disciples, then and now, there is a call to action. Change and become. Take this lowly position. And this, of course, fits with what Jesus has been telling his disciples about following him. So if you just flick back again to chapter 16, you can see in verses 24 and 25 how he describes Someone starting the Christian life and continuing. Jesus said to his disciples, verse 24, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Verse 25, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. So the Christian is called to lose their life. To follow Jesus. So what Jesus is saying to the disciples here fits with what he's already said about discipleship, and of course it fits with already with what we know of Jesus and what we were reminded of from Philippians 2 about he, how he humbled himself and was obedient even unto death. And so if that is true of our master, then the community that he is building will be shaped by him and in his likeness. And so it's a community that will be concerned with humility, not greatness. The moment we aspire to greatness, something like this happens. We climb up and all of a sudden we think more of ourselves, concerned with recognition and accolades. And of course the whole time what's happening. ourselves above others and start to look down on others as we play a game of comparisons and Jesus says there's absolutely no place for that amongst his people he calls them to humility now what lies behind that striving for recognition. I wonder if for lots of us it is to do with comparing ourselves to those we're alongside, or perhaps seeking approval from others. And yet we're told here what God values in his people, those who take the lowly position. I wonder if you're following Jesus, if this will be enough for you this morning. Or will we always be wanting something more? That's the tug I feel often in my own heart. Wanting something more than just this. And yet Jesus says that those who are following him are to be like children and of course that they are children of the one true and living God. I wonder if this will be enough for us in terms of status and importance and greatness. To be a child of God is to be utterly secure, accepted by Christ. Where others have to have recognition and success and achievement just to keep face, it's because they have no ultimate security to fall back on. But for the Christian, no matter how we are viewed by the world, we have utter security because of Christ. I wonder if that will be enough for us here at St. John's. If we'll be praying and seeking God's help to change and to become humble, because that will make us more and more dependent upon our God in life. Jesus wants us to see what God values in us and in others. He values the little ones, be it children, or be it those who are seen as unimportant or insignificant. And because of that, there's three implications to see as we go we go forward. The first one is this, if, if we are valuing what Jesus says matters, if we're valuing those who are little ones, ordinary Christians, then it will affect how we welcome one another. Verse 5, and whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. Whoever welcomes the ordinary Christian The Christian who is seen as unimportant and sees themselves as unimportant and insignificant. That person, if we welcome them, we are welcoming Jesus. And taking verses 5 and 6 together, which is how I'm I'm going to, to break the passage down, the flip side of not welcoming and valuing other Christians will be to cause those other Christians to stumble in their walk with God. So Jesus warns in verse six, if anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung round their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. The language helps us feel how much this matters to God. Jesus warns against this. You see, ordinary Christians everywhere, and and we will have tasted this ourselves, will not be welcome everywhere. We, We will feel ourselves at times despised and rejected and shunned and treated badly in the office, in social circles, maybe even in our own families, at school, in the classroom. Painful rejection because of our connection to Jesus. But not in the church. Not when we are gathered together, there is to be a different welcome. And it's purely on the basis Of someone's trust in Jesus. Did you see that in verse 6? If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble. I wonder if you've had that experience of going somewhere, visiting another church for the first time. No connections there except you're welcomed like a brother and a sister. You're shown love and affection on the basis of your faith in Christ. You're welcomed in conversation, you're perhaps even welcomed in hospitality or invited for lunch purely on this basis because you're part of Christ's family. You see, if we value what Jesus says, then welcoming ordinary Christians will be the normal part of community here at St. John's, in conversation, with hospitality, but also in other places as well during the week. Think of the ordinary Christians not welcomed by others or shunned by others. The kind of Christian that is unpopular, feels odd or awkward. Maybe just others who are different from us because of background or culture or type, but are loved by Christ and are to be welcomed by us, by one another. So if we're understanding what Jesus uh, says about what matters, what God values, then we'll be quick to welcome the little ones. But moving on to to verses 7 to 9. If we're understanding what Jesus says about the little ones, about Christians around us, then our discipleship will be marked by wholeheartedness, wholeheartedness. Jesus is calling his disciples in these verses, 7 to 9, to wholehearted change, wholeheartedness. It's reflected really in the language of these verses. Let me read again verse 7. Follow along. Woe to the world because of the things that cause people to stumble. Such things must come, but woe to the person through whom they come. If your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it out. Cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands or two feet and be thrown into Eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. Drastic action, Jesus says, is required in discipleship. Verse 8, cut it off. Amputation. Verse 9, gouge it out. Be ruthless about the things that make us or others stumble. As Jesus says, better to enter life, he says it twice, than not be changed. And in verse 8, be thrown into eternal fire. Verse 9, the fire of hell. He wants his disciples to take this seriously the need for wholeheartedness. We must know that when we sin, or when we know that we've caused others to stumble, there is forgiveness. In the next section will we'll make that really clear to us that it's needed and part of being in a church family. But we must also know that discipleship means wholehearted change. If we're going to live with Jesus as our Lord, the Lord who saved us, then he calls us to change, to be a people marked by wholeheartedness. Looking to Jesus, to help us to repent and to grow. Turn back with me to the second reading, page 1179, and just see in Philippians, what is described. It really shows what as a church family we're we're aiming at, what we're being encouraged to be like this community shaped by Christ, built by Christ. So, Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. And it's because of Verse 5, in your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. So if we go back to Matthew and we hear this call for wholeheartedness with Philippians alongside us, it's a call to love and serve one another. And if we're to grow in humility, that means cutting out pride, counting others, more important than ourselves. It means being ruthless with the things that cause ourselves to stumble and may cause our brothers and sisters to stumble. So it's it's fitting, I think, to ask the questions for reflection and action. Sorry, I said that too quickly. (laughs) It's fitting to ask the questions for reflection, but to help us towards action as well. How do hands cause us to stumble. Where we know that we grasp at certain things, perhaps money, perhaps things, materials, material things, or hands that might be raised in anger. Jesus says, cut it off. Or feet, how do feet cause us to stumble, taking us to places that don't help us? Jesus says, stop, cut it off. How do eyes cause us to stumble? The things that we look at, the things that we covet, Jesus says, gouge it out, take the action. These verses make it plain that wholeheartedness matters for the sake of our own walk with God and others. And so prayerfully, we need to seek God's help to deal ruthlessly with whatever causes us to stumble. We want to do that if we really value those round about us. We've got one more implication uh, to see in these last verses. If we're understanding that little ones really matter to God, then that will lead to shepherdly care. Shepherdly care. Look at verse 10. See that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I tell you that there are angels in heaven. Always see the face of my Father in heaven. Now, I'm not sure if that's talking about guardian angels, but safe to say, um, little ones are in some way continually in the presence of their heavenly Father. Verse 12, why do you think if a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the 99 on the hills and go to look for the one that wandered off? The one that wandered off? And if he finds it, truly I tell you, he is happier about that one sheep, that one, that one sheep, than about the 99 that did not wander off. In the same way your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. Jesus is making the point here that every single individual believer is of infinite value to God. That's the focus of of the parable of the lost sheep here. So here is is the little one, the ordinary Christian who's stumbling or wandering in danger of being lost. Because each one, each little one is of infinite value to the Father. Our role in the new community is to be ready to to rescue, to come alongside, to protect the little one, to show shepherdly care, to search for them. Because that's what Jesus did for us shepherdly care. It's a great corrective, isn't it? To know that this is how God feels about little ones, about individual believers. It's a great encouragement if we're feeling our littleness this morning. How he values his children. But it's a great corrective to not be doing verse 10, despising or looking down on any other Christian. Wherever we are with Christians. These verses show what God values and how we are to be a community shaped by them. So will we ask God to grow us, to have this concern for the little ones, for the lost, for those that the world sees as the last? Will we be looking out and noticing who's not here or who's not at our group? Individuals that are perhaps only known to us and God. Isn't it quite stunning the success rate that God will have in looking after his little ones? Verse 14, it's not 20%, 40%, it's 100%. And so what are we to aim at as a church in caring for others? Every single one. Because these verses show how every single one matters to God. So learn and ask God to teach us and change us what matters to him so that here there will be a ministry of care for all believers. A ministry of concern that we'll be wholehearted about our own walk so that others don't stumble. And shepherdly care for all. Let's pray. Father, we um, thank you for Jesus and for. Um, is coming to seek and to save the lost and to build the lost into his church. Um, we want to praise you for that, that uh, in the midst of a world which looks on and uh, thinks this is of no importance whatsoever, when we feel that and know that close to home, we pray please that you would help us to hear the words of Jesus and in our hearts to know the great love of God. And we pray please that we would not remain unchanged, but that you would help us to grow in humility, in love and concern for our brothers and sisters.